Welcome to the Project Future podcast for people looking to launch and build their own amazing business. With me, Rob Kerr. A few years ago, I asked myself, how can people considering starting a business be confident they are making the right decision? And how can they improve their chances of success? The answer has become my book titled Project Future, Six Steps to Success as Your Own Boss. A Facebook group called the Project Future Club, where we support each other to launch and build our own amazing businesses. And this podcast, where every Tuesday, a business owner shares their story, including great tips about what to do and what not to do when launching or growing a business to empower you to make better decisions on your own journey. You'll find the show notes and transcripts at robkerr.co.uk. So in these uncertain times, if starting a business could be the right option for you and your family, read the book, join the Facebook group and enjoy the show. Now let's move on to this week's episode. Hello and welcome to episode 25 of the Project Future podcast. What's it like starting a business when you're 18, growing it for a decade, and then having to make bold decisions to rebuild it following a global pandemic? My guest this week is Matt Turner, founder and MD of Clownfish Events, who took the opportunity to build Clownfish Studios when COVID-19 decimated the events market. Matt's story is one of dreams, disruption and daring and how he's realised his childhood dream to run a leading production studio that takes on the industry big boys and to make streaming and filming accessible to all. In this conversation, Matt explains how he first started running events whilst in school, what he learnt by saying yes to everything, how experience has shaped him, how he made the most of a big break, how clownfish have always stood out from the competition, and how they've grown with some of their clients why human personality is so important, why he'll continue to break barriers, why it's important to always be yourself, why he decided to expand the business by building a state-of-the-art TV studio, and why it's important to understand that every problem has a solution. Matt's best advice is to learn to enjoy the process. Let's have a listen. Hi Matt, welcome to the show. Hello Rob, great to be here. Very excited to speak with you and to to find out you know how you've you've grown your business. So I wonder if you can start by telling us you know how it all started for you. Gosh, uh, hi everyone. Uh, yes, as Rob says, my name is Matt. Uh, I start. I'm, I've just turned thirty one last week, which does feel quite old because I started when I was eighteen. And the truth probably is, I think. I mean, who knows really what they want to do when they're eighteen? I certainly hadn't got a clue, but. I did need a job and uh, and some income and something to do after school. So I think I'd watched my dad run businesses throughout my whole life. He'd always done that. He, he ran a big printing company uh, when I was kind of growing up. And then slightly later in my life, uh, he transitioned to a holiday company. Um, and I was always quite impressed. I mean, occasionally when I was sort of 12, 13, 14, I would go into sort of Battersea where his kind of big print factory was on a sort of Saturday. And there was about sort of 70, 80 people working on a Saturday and they all sort of knew his name. And I thought, that's cool. <laughs> and I think somewhere down the line, somewhere in my psychology, I thought, uh, I'd love to replicate that. I'd love to be my dad, <laughs> perhaps. So uh, the only things I was particularly good at or was interested in, uh, I, was, I was slightly nerdy. So um, some sound and lighting desks for events and for theatres. I'd done quite a bit of that at school at our local church growing up. And so I thought I'd start an events company. Uh, I mean, goodness knows what I was thinking then, but it felt like a fun thing to do. And I'd been doing a paper round for four years, I think, between, I think, 14 and sort of 17 or 18-ish, if that maths works. And the, the kind of £15.50 a week I earned, I was, I was buying speakers. Um, sounds bizarre, but that was my teenage life. And I was doing sort of local discos as a 15, 16, 17 year old, wow. um, setting up PA systems for kind of village fates. I think it's sort of, sort of um, classic kind of nerdy, but kind of cool at the same time. And yeah, I think definitely. That... Sorry to jump in there, but I, I say, I, I love how you've, you've used something that you've, you've clearly got an interest in. And even at such a young age, you were able to, to kind of channel that into, into a really em- embryonic business. You know, starting at the at the fates and the school events and things like that. What what a great way to to kind of to test it out, really, and see if there was you know a foundation to take forwards. 
Yes, uh, someone said to me early on that if and it's a kind of cliche phrase, but they said, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day again in your life. Mm. Now, it's fractionally trite. I mean, that can't possibly be true because there is always going to be difficult elements to your job, no matter what you're doing and how much you love it. But I guess the sentiment is right in that, to me, it made sense. I think I was slightly emotionally attuned for perhaps more so than a normal 17, 16, 18-year-old. And I think that I recognize a lot of my sort of older brother and sister's friends who now had jobs didn't love their job. And it felt like, you know, if you were going to do something for 40, 50, 60 hours a week, you might as well enjoy it. Because actually, that's, a, that's probably the largest proportion of your life if you kind of pie chart your life out into time. Yeah, absolutely. And so, I, yeah, it kind of, this stuff felt really obvious to me. Um, it was only later in my career I kind of worked out perhaps why I did what I did. But yeah, I think, I think, it was, I think for me, it's clear just an obvious thing to do, to, to do something you enjoy and that you're possibly good at. Yeah, and it's it's a great quote and one that's in my book. You know, there's only ah. there's only two quotes in my book, and that's one of them. <laughs> so it's clearly a good one. However, twice it is, but uh, but but yeah, it's a great way to start. And and I think you're absolutely right in terms of looking at kind of older siblings and a lot of that kind of excitement that as you leave school and then go into a career, it fades. It fades very yep. quickly. You know, once the realities kind of come in. You know, there's uh, just just thinking of, of quotes and things. There's uh, a lyric from from Paul Weller in the Jam: "That the world is your oyster, but your future's a clam." Nice. And, uh, <laughs> and yeah. he was only in his early twenties when he wrote that. You know, and uh, I, I think that there's so many options out there, but it can be so difficult to pick the right one and to pick one that works for you. So, yeah, uh, so so well done for you in the in at such an early age for getting that foundation. And I'm sure if you hadn't enjoyed those fates or those school events then you wouldn't have taken it forward as a business. You know, you would have looked at a different angle. So, yep, absolutely right. Yep. So, you know, when you were 18 and you, you got it moving, how did the business develop from there? Big question. Uh, so on April the 1st, we will turn 12, uh, so 12 years old. So it's a lot of history there. I mean, that's, that's clearly over a decade. We started very organically. And I guess in a way, that was my greatest asset at the start in that, you know, I lived at home until I was 23. I think mum and dad started charging me rent but it was a very nominal yeah. amount and I think my phone bill was paid for by the by Clownface from day one and I, therefore life didn't really cost anything and so I didn't in a sense whilst I worked full-time and took it seriously in a kind of financial economic sense you know it didn't need to be that serious you know I, our first year 2009 I'm 18 years old we turned over 26,000 pounds and I mean most people could work that out that, that there isn't a salary in, in that in that revenue after you've taken out all the expenses and the insurances and the costs and so on so it did take a few years to get going but those early years I guess were kind of instrumental lots of it was suck it and see and lots of it was say yes to everything let's work out what your customers want and if they say to you, you know, can you build me a stage that's this this, this dies, or can you build me a sound system that's this, this impressive, or this you know can can be powerful enough for a hundred people, or whatever it was, my general response was sure I can do that. And then more often than not, I'd go and buy those things. So I just constantly reinvested. So I'd say the first three or four years, we didn't really make any money. We just every pound got reinvested into into new capital, into new product. Kind of weirdly, as I look back now. We ended up uh, doing, we kind of bought uh, a rodeo bull, some inflatables, some bouncy castles, some candy for some popcorn. Because we were already doing, and I say we, it was just me at this time, in the, in the first kind of year or so. Because yeah. we, we were doing these kind of school fates, village fairs. You know, we, we did Wimbledon Village Fair quite early on in 2009, I think. And we did the kind of main stage sound system and generator. But uh, Jane, who ran it at the time, said, you know, do you do some sort of entertainment type things? And of course, with my general mantra of saying yes to everything, I said, yeah, we could do a, a rodeo sheep or a rodeo bull or whatever it was and an inflatable bungee run. And I ended up buying buying some of those sort of things. And we had a couple of connections that manufactured them well. And so I guess three or four years in, we're now kind of a production company doing the kind of technical AV bits. But we're also a kind of entertainment company renting out everything from sort of table football tables to you know inflatable slides and so on. So I guess we, we never had... I, I, um, in 2009, when the company started, I sold 55% of it to external shareholders in return for equity, in return for money. So that first, I think it was £20,000 or so, 
that kind of kickstarted the company was from selling effectively 55% of actually nothing. <laughs> and then I retained the remaining 45%. And so that money was used to, to also grow. We bought our first extra mail post office van. There's, there's photographs of that on the internet somewhere, and um, you could still see the kind of Royal Mail logo kind of yeah, blazing through. Yeah, I was going to say, did you have that? It's, it faded. I, you see those so around, cringe. don't you? Yeah, oh, it's, it was you horrendous. Can't, can't get rid of the yellow paint, however <laughs> hard you try. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, you're right. I mean, even if you plaster it in a bright orange clownfish events logo, you, it was still there. Yeah, it'll be um, there in an off pink, won't it, in the background? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly right. And so that that kind of, I guess, propelled us slightly further forward than, than having no cash at all at the start. Um, but the compromise was, was, of course, selling over half business. Um, it's a I big mean, fast... amount of equity. Yes. I mean, like, I think, like I say, I mean, I, mean, I didn't know what I was doing. I mean, I mean 20,000 pounds in those days. I mean, arguably still today. But in those days, an 18-year-old just left school. That is like a million pounds in your head, you know, so um, to sell to sell over half the company, which was effectively worth zero anyway on day one. And it was just the, the kind of value, I suppose, was me and, the, and what these yeah, shares absolutely. The investment was in you. That. Absolutely. Um, it felt kind of good at the time. I mean, fast forward, I mean, all those shares have now been bought back by me. And uh, none of those none of those original shareholders are involved anymore. So it's it's back to being, I guess, mine and the team entity. But uh, yeah, I, I, we, we we invested. We continue to do so. My sort of closest friend, Alistair, he was he didn't do sick form. I think in those days that was allowed. So he left school at sort of sixteen. So he's a few years younger than me, and he he was our kind of first time. He was our first sort of full time employee. I think he got paid like five hundred pounds a month at best. Um, in that kind of first year, he was 17, living at home, obviously. Yep. Um, and again, we didn't really know what we were doing. We were just, and rightly, I think his family, his friends were slightly skeptical. What on earth are you doing? This is not the way to start your career. <laughs> you know, you've been, you've been privately educated, Alistair. You know, what are you doing joining a, a, a sound company and a, and a bouncy castle company, effectively? You run from Matt's parents' shed, uh, office was my bedroom. You know, it's properly organic in a, in a lovely yeah. kind of romantic way. But what a platform as well. And that's the, you know, that's the great thing that Sam said, uh, because mm. I had those two conversations with Sam and I needed to edit it down. So where he, he spoke about working for you and, and, and working within the events and what he learned. You get a huge array of experiences, you know, working in um, a, a growth business and a, a business that's d- developing and, and just getting stuck in, really. And mm. so so what a platform it, it, it must have been for somebody just coming out of school to be working in, in a space like that. So, yeah, I think so. And I think for both of us, you know, it was it was I mean, Alistair wonderfully is 11, 12 years in is still my sort of right hand man in a, in, a, in a work sense. And we both got to see every single part of the of the business. I mean, we're now a lot bigger at our peak. We're about 12 or 13 full time. You know, we run five vehicles now. We own a building in Chessington, our big warehouse. We own over a million pounds of stock. You know, the business has clearly grown. And so clearly I don't do everything that I did back in 2009 and 10. You know, I don't open the post anymore, for example. Um, But 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 it's, it's true what you say. It was the greatest learning curve of all time. And I argued a lot at the time to to his family and friends, look, he could go to university and do three years of business degree. And sure, that maybe has its place. But this is front end, you know, first hand, practical, on the ground experience. There's not, nothing could ever beat this. We, we'll both learn everything. And it's true. You know, we, we both did sales. We both did marketing. We both did finance. We both did events, operations, I mean, everything, every part of it. And uh, I guess that I, in a way that shaped both of us because... We both now manage teams. Um, I manage the sales and marketing side of things. Alistair manage operations and events. He's more practical than me. And I guess everything that he asks his team to do, he's already done himself, you know, a million times over. So I think you're right. I think it was the, the greatest learning curve. And I'm, people, someone asked me recently, you know, what are your regrets from, from you know, the last you know, decade or so of work? And of course, there are, there are lots in there. But by and large, you know, everything that's happened or everything that we went through, kind of shaped us made us and actually I think made us far more effective productive relatable bosses I suppose so uh yeah it's kind of cool we learned loads yeah it's brilliant and and after those early experiences when you started to build momentum I dare say your events got got bigger and you know more more widespread so were there any big breaks that you you can remember that have really helped to push the business forwards and accelerate things I remember getting our first corporate, which was KPMG, 
Um, and I didn't really know who that was at the time, but I remember some friends saying, oh, that's, that's, that's quite impressive. That's kind of a bit more impressive than uh, your local church's fate. <laughs> and, 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 and they, it was amazing, they just Googled us and they found us. And I remember speaking to the person uh, there and they booked uh, sort of like, a, it's a knockout type. They saw all the kind of five or six kind of premium inflatable things, the games that we had, and they wanted to do an afternoon of it. And um, I think it was two and a half, three thousand pounds of for an afternoon, and that was a big break. And and they kindly let us put their logo on our site. And of course, suddenly then you you start to build your kind of corporate clientele list. And actually, amazingly, we've always been good at presence, at branding. I think something I've always been particularly interested in. And I mean, ironically, in honestly, in, in 2010, you know, our, on the side of our second and third van, uh, we had London's leading event company, which was a load of rubbish. Um, and arguably, I shouldn't have done that. But, you know, I didn't know any better. And <laughs> that sort of confidence and that sort of strap line, it, it, it kind of resonated. And when you have KPMG and a, a positive testimonial from the accounts manager there, then soon after the rest followed. And I, I, we were so privileged. I mean, I, I mean, genuinely, over the last 10 years or so, I kind of think every single big brand that you could think of has now worked with us. I mean, everyone from Google and Amazon and Microsoft and YouTube. And I mean, it goes on and on and on. And, and, and that's really cool. And, and so there, there were a few small breaks early on that led to more. Having a good web presence, I think, has always helped us. We always try to do things differently. You know, we, I hated the idea that someone could compare us like for like for another competitor. So we'd always buy things or do things in a slightly different way. I, I think we stood out and we, we were a bunch of young people. And the truth is, I, I think in our industry, both for the kind of production, the event management side and the kind of entertainment side, I think a lot of people that, that offer the similar things to us in the industry have done it for 20 or 30 years. And so I might, dare I say, they're, they're slightly tired. And that kind of shows in the way they answer the phone, the way they reply to their emails, the products that they have, the quality of things. And I think that we, our big break probably was just being consistently fresh and new and, you know, slightly Richard Branson style, trying to, in our own very small way, to kind of disrupt the market a bit and just do things with a, a smile, <laughs> um, have new, fresh ideas that are different to what everyone's had the last how many years. And I think that those sort of things are responsible for the kind of fortune and I guess the luck we, we had after that. Yeah, I, I love it. And I think there's there's so much good stuff there in, in that answer, you know, in terms mm. of the, the presence branding. I think that's so important because the, the KPMG gig could have passed. You know, it could have been a one-off if you hadn't got the testimonial, yeah. if you hadn't had the logo there, if you hadn't promoted it afterwards, then nobody would know about it. You know, yeah. so you could have it could have just been a one-off, but but having the peace of mind to realize that, yeah we could use this we can really leverage this and and progress this and and so then go on and and clearly get the second corporate and then the third and then then it just mm. becomes standard and you yeah. know the, the thought process from procurement will be well of, of course we can work with them they've worked with these others you know and yeah. and and just having the peace of mind to do that and and as you say d disrupting with a smile you know what a, what a great thing uh, and yeah the, having having fresh ideas and the energy it's what people want and to be able to offer something different to their people. So yeah, I, yeah. I think there's some, some wonderful things that you've said there in terms of, of why people decided to, to, to work with you and to progress. Thanks Rob. So I wonder, are there any stories or any particular events that have really stood out for you either where they've gone wonderfully well, they've gone terribly wrong. It wasn't what you expected. Any stories that just absolutely are worth sharing here? Uh, I have a lot. Um, <laughs> I, I, this morning, uh, I've literally just been on Wimbledon Common. Um, I live, I live in Wimbledon, and so I just walked up, and um, we were testing a, a live stream. So we were testing the kind of four or five G connection from Wimbledon Common, in order for one of our clients, Wimbledon Bookfest, to live stream their events this June and July. And I like them as a client because. I think the most exciting clients, and I could tell you lots of fun corporate stories that I'll probably get told off for saying, but yeah. I think the ones that mean more to business owners are not necessarily the flashy names or the, the kind of high profile household names or the celebrity stuff that we do, although that is quite cool, actually. Uh, but, um, but actually, the ones where you've kind of grown with them. And so I, Wimbledon Bookfest started roughly at a similar time to we did. And in my first year of trade, before we even owned that LDV van, I remember driving to Waterstones in Wimbledon in my dad's Toyota Previa 
with a bunch of speakers that I'd bought uh, from doing the paper round stuff. And uh, I forget who the author was, but I don't really read. So it, it, I probably couldn't tell you if they were famous or not. Uh, and we just, we, we set up some speakers and a microphone in the, and recorded it all in Waterstones in Wimbledon. And, you know, probably charged, I think, 200 pounds or so. And that come from recommendation. Uh, Fiona, the festival director, knew Alice's mum. And uh, she'd given us a shot. And that was an amazing break because I really was young and I, I really didn't really know what I was doing. I, I vaguely had a clue. But doing kind of professional audio is different to doing, you know, a DJ that's kind of loud and doesn't matter as much. And speech intelligibility isn't, isn't quite a big thing. And I like them a lot because we've basically grown, you know, in tandem. And as we've got better, they've got better. And so we pushed each other. And kind of fast forward that, you know, they now do uh, on Wimbledon Common every October. Uh, they have three marquees. It's a bit like a hay festival, if, you, if, you're, if you're familiar yeah, with that. Is, yeah. But on Wimbledon Common. And uh, I mean, they generally get between 10 and 20,000 members of the public coming in buying tickets. They have about 10, 15 events a day, back to back. I mean, amazing names. I mean, I mean, David Cameron, Ruby Wax, Jeremy Vine. They, that, that was last year. I mean, done um, Will Young and I mean, Ed Miliband and all kinds of people. Um, and there are people that have kind of launched books. And then clearly they are they are having an audience to talk about those books and people ask questions from the audience. Yep. And I guess every year that, that event has become more complicated, more challenging and bigger. And so our technical requirement has had to follow suit. And I, I quite like that. It's, I quite like the challenge. And, and the relationship clearly is really strong. I mean, actually, I invited, I invited Fiona Rasby to my 30th birthday and her husband uh, last year, just before the pandemic started. And, um, you know, we're, I, I'd say we're friends. <laughs> so... I, I, kind of, I quite like that sort of thing um, yeah. because that, that means a lot. And um, there's a lot of passion, a lot of love there and a lot of buy-in both sides. And it kind of forces us to get better. And I want to push them to be better as well. And, and it, it kind of works two ways. Yeah, it's a great thing as well. So I've, I've had that relationship for, for 12 years and to, as you say, to grow with your clients as well. I think that's, that's a really great phrase to, to pull out of that, that conversation there mm. because it, it gives you that balance, doesn't it? That yep. they're, they're growing, you're growing. Not everything's going to go right all the time, but you know you'll kind of work it out, and you'll you'll find the right solution for for something like that. So there's a it's it's a bit old fashioned, but I I think I grew up thinking that business was you, you'd wear a shirt, a tie, and a suit. You know, if you watch The Apprentice, yeah. and I did growing up, that is kind of the vibe you get from a show like that, and that. You know, you could never WhatsApp your clients, let alone add them on Facebook, let alone invite them to your birthday. You, you know, it was a very professional, a professional sort of strict relationship, you know, supplier client. And I desperately tried to break all that. And actually, that's, that's I've mentioned Richard already, but that's very Branson. You know, it's um, doesn't wear a tie and everything is done with human personality. And I I think I've tried my, my kind of hardest to put that center of our messaging of our personality of our, of our brand and i i think people have really you know they, they like it i think it, it it's it's human it's relatable it, so I, I think that's worked really well for us and um it's something i plan to continue doing and, and trying to get it right you know breaking those conventional barriers of of what business might have been in 1990 i think i think it's a bit different in 2021 yeah, I, I agree, and I I grew up with the same ideas. You know, it's uh, mm. it, it, the the whole the whole suit and tie thing, the corporate you know idea, and you know I've worked in corporate for a few years myself as well, and I've worked in in and out of those environments over the years, and it, it's amazing to see there how how things are changing. You know how you know yeah. jeans and jeans and the t shirt you know is is acceptable now in in some places, and yeah. but, but the general idea that as you say, with social media, being able to interact socially, being able to call clients mates, you know, in inverted mm. commas, you know, I, I, I don't tend to do that because it's not my personal style, but for a lot of people do. And for the right client, they'll like that. And I, I think it's it's kind of assessing what, what works, isn't it? And just having the, it doesn't matter what the balance is, as long as it's, as long as it works, you know, you, you hear it about brands yeah. on social media as well. Yeah, you can be yeah, cheeky, yeah. or you can be, yeah. you know, or, or you can be formal, but you just yeah. have to be consistent, you know. And and I think yeah. everything's okay as long as you're consistent with it, you know, because <laughs> yeah. you can't you can't be cheeky and then suddenly be formal, and equally you can't go the other way. So, so yeah, yeah I, I think you by doing that and having that that type of open uh, openness to your business and that personality side, you'll attract the clients that that value 
you know, having that type of experience. And then you'll be able yeah. to be creative and, and give them the solution that they'll want as well. Yeah, totally right. Uh, anything to keep business not stale is is a, is probably a mantra of mine somewhere in my head. Yep. Anything to keep it alive, exciting, fun. You know, if, if I if I can't make a client laugh in a first meeting, I kind of I kind of give up. You know, as in, <laughs> then maybe they're not for us. You know, I um, or maybe we're not for them. It's kind of like what I said at the start. We spend so much time doing our jobs. What is this weird persona that sometimes we go into where we are become corporate in inverted commas? Yep. Let's, let's, let's be ourselves, people by people. I, I think I learned that really early on. And uh, yeah, I, I try my best to employ and to be more or less completely myself with everyone, both personally, but also importantly here at work. Yeah, I love it. And you make a great point that people do buy people and you'll you'll attract the right type of customers by, by doing that. Hmm. So let's move forward. So 2020, clearly... Hmm huge challenges for events more so possibly than any other industry uh, mm. so what did you do in order to kind of try and mitigate the impact of that oh, um the, the, yeah so so we're now yes yeah, so we're now 10 years in 10 11 years in and the truth is the business was doing well we'd uh, in february 2020 uh, the company paid for nine of us to go on a all expense uh, ski trip uh, to val in france because we'd hit our end of quarter targets for 2019. And we even did it in work time, not annual leave. So the, the whole thing cost a crazy amount of money. But we did that because we had come out of a slightly rough patch. We were back to being profitable again. And it felt fantastic. It was so exciting. We then went on at the end of February to exhibit at Confex. Confex is the kind of largest events trade show in the country. Um, tens of thousands of people come to that. It's in the London Excel Center. And we were there for two days um, exhibiting and we won the best stand there. So it was a really exciting moment. Um, we picked up five, 600 leads. It was a big buzz around our company. It was all just very exciting. And then literally a few weeks later, uh, the pandemic had obviously hit. And, um, you know, as an events company, we were kind of one of the first hit, I suppose, in hospitality. So my birthday was March the 2nd. Uh, March the 3rd or 4th, I, we were getting phone calls, emails. I mean, like a tsunami, it was incredible. Every single client was basically saying, um, what's your cancellation policy? <laughs> Are you insured? Yeah. You know, that, that sort of stuff for, for pandemics. And yeah, one by one, we have, of course, lost everything. And, and actually, we didn't have, we were, we were zero revenue for April, May and June in 2020, which obviously hasn't happened since the start. We were refunding clients. We were, we projected some pretty special big things happening. Uh, and yeah, well, it, it's it's kind of fair to say we lost well over three, four hundred thousand pounds in a in a short space of time. I mean, wow. we'd lost every, all of our bookings, or weddings, corporates, and and to be clear, the business had, had stepped up dramatically. You know, we were no longer well, we are, we were no longer doing those kind of inflatable things. We'd kind of we'd kind of got rid of all of that. There's a slight connotation around doing inflatables. That's perhaps a lesser company. I'm not sure I buy that, but I do get it from a corporate point of view. And we'd swapped it for kind of higher class digital entertainment. So things like giant scale electrics and VR and kind of cool entertainment for companies. And we were also having a few new things as well. So the, the company was, was felt quite big. You know, we would have done well over a million pounds in, in sales had, had COVID not happened in 2020. And yeah, as I say, we lost everything. Uh, and, and, you know, we weren't prepared for it. I joked a few times that if we had done the kind of traditional business um, you know, SWOT analysis, if, if I'd done all that kind of training and followed it through, you know, I never in a million years would I put, you know, COVID-19 on your kind of possible threats yeah, <laughs> um, that, would, that would effectively, you know, make 100% of our work from the last 10, 11 years illegal, you know, i.e. bringing people together. It was unthinkable, wasn't it? You know, it was it was completely unthinkable. I I had a, a, a wedding uh, to attend in the first week of March. And, you know, I remember vividly that all week, suddenly from the Monday onwards, you know, yeah. the, the news was just getting worse and worse every day. There was a time, wasn't there? I remember waking up every morning and reading the news and feeling, oh, my goodness me. I mean, one morning, Tom Hanks had, had caught COVID and I think he was in Australia at the time. The next morning, you know, um, Boris had it, whatever it was. It was just a whole series of horrendous news. Yeah. But you know, I, I, I it was a really, a, some really challenging time. I mean, yeah, definitely kind of hardest in a, in a work sense. I mean, interestingly, and for context, my my dad had just died, um, aged fifty nine, relatively unexpectedly from, from cancer, uh, literally two or three months before COVID hit. So I, 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 I just. That. I didn't know. 
that's okay. It's um, that was a, a big learning curve and experience for me, but having never really lost anyone close. But that happened. Then two, three months later, COVID happened, and I think in my head, consciously or possibly subconsciously, I remember thinking, "I've just lost my dad. I don't particularly want to lose the business as well." <laughs> and so, what on earth can I do? And I remember um, while we were allowed to back in mid-March time, all of us went to Alice's house and had dinner together across a number of hours. And we tried to work out what we would do. And we talked about, you know, would we all be willing to take massive pay cuts and, and work less because there was going to be less work to do? We talked about, you know, could we use this time brilliantly to, you know, we've been pretty busy for a few years now without much breathing space. Could we use this time to do clever things like website redevelopment and sort the warehouse out and all, all those sort of things? And then wonderfully furlough came along and uh, was, was was delightful. <laughs> so that you know the whole team was more or less furloughed for the whole of uh, April, May, June. But I, uh, you know, it's undiagnosed, but I'm sure I've got ADHD. <laughs> I find it very hard to sit and do nothing. Mm. And I didn't particularly like sitting at home in those days, being allowed to leave for one hour a day. I've, I found that claustrophobic. And, you know, I, I think I, as an entrepreneur or a business owner or leader, you know, I, I want to be doing things. I want to be creative. I don't particularly want to be lazy. And that felt a bit lazy for me. So, and I also recognized by, by the time it got to May or June, you realize, oh gosh, this is going to come for a while now. You know, I don't know if you remember, but in the start, in May, certainly, sorry, in March, certainly on all the industry forums that I'm part of, everyone was sort of saying, should be back by June or July, you know, work should be normal by June, July time. And of course, yep. how wrong how wrong that was. And I think I figured out fairly early on, okay, we're in this for the long haul. And we clearly still are, I think. Yeah, we are. And and the world we're going back to has fundamentally changed as well. It, it has. Um, so with the kind of ethos of not wanting to give up, um, and actually, you know, I, I, I dearly love the team that, we, that I guess I have. Uh, they are my closest friends, really. And that's a separate conversation, you know, rightly or wrongly, they are some of my closest people in my life. Um, and I couldn't let them down either. I was desperately trying to keep the jobs and keep the business that we all had learned to love and had kind of molded us and shaped us and been a big part of our lives. So what do you do? Um, so I guess we had the production side already, so the kind of the AV, the lighting and so on, and a bit of camera stuff, although not much. And clearly everyone was now going online to Zoom and so on. And I think I also realized that Zoom was great for meetings and things, but actually it wasn't an alternative. It didn't, it didn't solve the, it was hard to do a big award show or company conference or even a company party on Zoom. It's not quite the same. How could we do that better? So we beautifully, we, we own our building in Jessington and uh, it's about 11 or 12 meters high. So that's that's enormous, and we don't utilize the height. So we basically pay for a lot of air that we're not using. And we've always wanted to do this, and this gave us the opportunity or the time to do it. So effectively, over the last six, seven, eight months, I think, um, we have totally renovated our building into a new sort of three-story development. So I, t- I took a Sybil's loan. I borrowed a quarter of a million pounds, and wow. we, yeah, we, we've kind of built a purpose-built sort of state-of-the-art TV studio on the top floor. The, f- the first floor has new offices, new green room. Uh, I mean, it is absolutely amazing, dare I say myself. Um, it's really, we've, we've kind of no expense spared in a very sort of clownfish way. I can validate that. You don't need to say that yourself. I've seen the, <laughs> I've seen the video. I've seen the time-lapse video that you've got and of, uh, of how you've created it. And uh, to have the peace of mind to, to put that time-lapse camera up as well at the start so, <laughs> so you could document it and you know fast forward it is uh yeah what a wonderful facility you've created there yeah thank you and so that's that's finished uh, wonderfully and um so we did that and the other thing we, we've done is uh, kind of double down into sort of broadcast quality live streaming so we bought you know netflix approved cameras and all the kind of vision mixing and the encoding that enables you to basically go to a hotel or to a site and, and broadcast live from there. So instead of a kind of a Zoom webcam on, on your laptop and a microphone, you're doing it kind of professionally. So yep. I, I explain it to clients. It's a bit like recreating live television. It looks exactly the same as watching the Jonathan Ross show or Graham Norton or the news or whatever. And wonderfully, that must be one of the best decisions I've ever made. And it'll take a while to pay off. 
But if I hadn't have done that, I don't think we'd be open right now. You know, furlough has been great, but calls will eventually run out. And I think it will take a while for people to be comfortable, especially in a kind of business or corporate setting. For a, for a company director or manager to kind of force, in inverted commas, your colleagues to come together for a conference or a training day or a party, yep. i.e., you know, tell your colleagues you have to come to a room. I think that feels a little way off. So I think that was a, it's proved to be brilliant because over the summer we live streamed some again some big high profile companies um we did company parties we had kind of britain's got talent finalists in the studio we've had basil brush in the studio we've had tim vine in the studio davina mccall for a charity gala event yesterday we had uh, martha from the bake-off doing a kids tv kitchen show or a cooking show baking show and that's just the studio and then on the kind of live environment we've done lots of uh, sort of school induction weeks, um, uh, live streaming properly from a school or hotels or company offices or construction sites or even on the Wimbledon Common um, last year, uh, live streaming uh, or broadcasting events uh, from, from, from a tent. So, um, uh, you know, and we mentioned it before we started speaking on this, but um, we did a big kind of Buddhist festival last year. Um, it's an event we do every year. We provide a stage and a tent and lights and power and, and so on to a kind of open day for a, for a Buddhist temple in Tolworth. And they said this year, uh, sorry, last year, they'd love to do it again. But of course, they can't have the, the 1,000 or 1,500 people that normally come to it. So what, what do you think we should do? And I said, well, why don't we create a kind of one show style TV show? So you still do it, but you do it across eight days and you, you, you cap it at 100 people a day, which was allowed then. And all the people that can't come because they're isolating, because they are, they're abroad, because they're, they're, they're nervous, they could actually watch a 30-minute highlight TV show each day, just like the Amazing. one show. Yeah. Uh, we could interview people that come, guests. We can show clips. We can do tours. And that worked brilliantly. And there's a lovely case study video on our site that shows that. And that was fantastic. I mean, that was so much fun. And actually, it, this whole thing beautifully satisfies all my beauty, all my kind of inner geek uh, from when I was 18. <laughs> you know, it's all... And I've absolutely loved it. Like it's, it's, we are creating television. Yeah. So uh, one hell of a pivot, which seemingly was the word of 2020, but, but one that hopefully is and will pay off um, properly. It's brilliant. It absolutely is. And it's, it's so in the moment as well and future proofed. Mm. You know, I, I think the, mm. the, this you say about, you know, events going back to in person in, in a way, I don't think they ever will. 100 percent you know with Mm. with the geographic uh separation of 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 staff uh, not just you know local within an office but you know having offices globally and all of that kind Mm. of thing even even around the whole carbon footprint of people going on flights and things like that it's going to be a lot more of this happening and the technology is there now to facilitate this it's interesting i mean we work for a big insurance company in the city every year and they have this particular company has 300 ceos and they fly in every April for a three-day convention. And part of me now thinks, well, sorry, most of me thinks that will never happen again. Because yeah. first of all, it's not very green. Um, but second of all, you know, the pandemic has proved that for that sort of thing, it can be done online. And um, I mean, they will save mil- many million pounds a year by um, by doing so. So I, I think you're right, a large proportion of our market has changed. And I, you know, a lot of my closest friends also are, are, are effectively competitors. You know, the truth is when you're in an industry, you do end up spending a lot of time at, at trade shows around the world yeah. or conferences about our industry with other competitors. And actually, I, I really enjoy speaking to other business owners in the same industry as us because they, they, they kind of get it in a way that most people don't because they've lived it. And a lot of my close friends now have effectively given up because they haven't found a way to pivot. They've made their entire teams redundant. And I get it. I really do. Um, but at the same time, it's tragic because they had great businesses a year ago. Yeah. And um, it's hard to know where they'll be in another six, 12 months time. Yeah, absolutely. It's a challenge, isn't it? I think it's, it's mm. a challenge for, for so many people at the moment is knowing exactly what to do next and how to, mm. and how to take things forwards and you know, what solutions are going to be needed. Um, mm. going forwards as well and uh, the, the fact that you've put together you know a high quality tv studio for for hire you know i, I think it's only the start of of that type of thing you know it's mm. uh, we, we've clearly seen an explosion in the amount of television channels and the way that that, that tv is broadcast through apps and all these kind of things over the last few years but yeah. to, be, to be able to offer really high quality 
production for a business effectively or a charity or whatever it may be to be able to get their message out to you know customers and and interested stakeholders around the world you know i i think it's a it's a wonderful platform with which to build I, I need more of you in my life, Rob. You, whenever I'm down, I'm going to give you a call. You're very upbeat and positive <laughs> and uh, optimistic. I, yeah, thank you. I'm like, I think you're right. I hope you're right. And I'm kind of, I'm kind of resting the future of clownfish on it. Um, but, but yeah, I, um, yeah, I think one of the things I think from being a business for now a while is that, that nothing is permanent. You know, COVID's brilliantly. What a great case study in a, in a sense. Nothing really stays the same. You never quite know what's coming around the corner. And that's kind of part of the fun of it, but also part of the, the kind of challenge and the danger of it too. Yeah, indeed. And going back to the SWOT analysis side of things, I think, you know, you've, you've got all your eggs were in one basket before perhaps, and mm. and they're not now. You know, there's mm. there, there's it almost feels to me as though there's a line that you can kind of go along to having 100% broadcast, 100% live event, and mm. clients can, you know, if I'm thinking it right, the clients can kind of pick where they want mm. to be within that yeah, scale. Within that scale. So. And we, we've started a whole new brand. I mean, Clownfest Studios is a new company. It's a new website. Um, it's a new logo. <laughs> so it's um, yeah. it's a whole new brand. And um, I, I, I think you're right. I think we are putting ourselves in a much safer position because when the world opens up again and Freedom Day comes, if that's 21st of June or not, who knows? The theory is we'll have, we'll have both strands and um, they could both be great. Um, that's, yeah. that's, that's the plan Rob <laughs> absolutely well I wish you every success with it and uh, congratulations so for making you know for making such use of the of, of the time during 2020 and and uh, I say I recommend to everybody listening go and watch that video uh, we'll put we'll put the link in the recording here oh, thanks. but the, the video of the uh, of the time lapse I think is just absolutely genius of kind of how <laughs> it's all comes together and it looks it looks beautiful as well so, uh, so much. before you go Matt there's four questions that I have to ask every guest uh, sure. So I'd love to know what the one best piece of advice is that you give to somebody thinking about starting a business today. There's a lot to say here, but if you want one, then maybe to try and link back to some of what I've said already in this. Uh, I think you have to learn to enjoy the process. And if you don't, you know, entrepreneurship is probably not for you. You know, Gary Vaynerchuk talks about this a lot and very well, I think. The, the reality is, I, I think I think I already described, I mean, there's going to be um, obstacles, hurdles, and you will definitely experience your, your lowest lows running a business. But you'll also experience your highest highs too, I think. That's, that's certainly been true for me. And at some point, you have to kind of embrace that. <laughs> you know, you never quite know if, I don't know, someone's going to trip over a cable and try to sue you tomorrow, or if uh, a member of your team is going to leave or whatever or if COVID's going to happen or and it goes on and on and on and so somewhere along the line you have to work out okay this is kind of a game it's like playing Monopoly in a sense and if you can do that I think it sets the mindset or the perspective for you right a, a, a line that I keep meaning to print in our new office is I can't control the waves but I can learn to surf and to kind of follow on from that you know, as, as soon as you realize that every problem really does actually have a solution, if you can learn to enjoy that, I think it makes a big difference. Yeah, I hope that helps. Yeah, it, it really does. And uh, and it's it's a great piece of advice because there are ups and downs. You know, it's it's never, never straightforward. And I say what you think maybe as you found last year, you know, I, I think mm. what what's kind of really positive skiing event, we're all going well, you know, we've got good bookings for the year ahead. Suddenly, yeah everything can change um and to understand that there is a solution that there is a way that it can be taken forwards yeah i, I think is, is a great piece of advice cool so what do you know now that you wish you knew back when you were 18 when you started your business <laughs> well, um what do i know now i know a lot more i mean i knew nothing and that is true i mean everything i did in the first few years was basically based on instinct or gut and that does actually take you quite far i think it did for me but at some point, you probably do need external help or specialists in certain fields. I probably wish I'd done that earlier. About five or six years in, we were doing all right. But I was thinking, gosh, have I run out of skills here personally? I.e., you know, we've, we've got this far. I've taken it from A to B. But have I now run out of all the things that got me here? Do I need some specialist help? And so I started trying to find people to help, um, to talk to. Um, people generally older than me who had perhaps been in business, specialists in marketing, actually, I, I did. And I think that's a really good idea. Uh, I haven't done this yet, but I always toyed with the idea of setting up a board. It sounds a bit corporate for me, but um, 
uh, having kind of accountability or some sort of structure in place, uh, I think I probably should have done earlier. And I think I, if I started again, I would have set up a, a senior team effectively. The people that ne- don't necessarily work in the business because often they can be tunnel visioned if, they, if they're working their day in, day out. But someone who's, who has a different take uh, that you trust that can be a good sounding board. I, yeah. I think I can't emphasize how much that helps me now and how much that would have helped me more if I'd had that 10 years ago. There's probably a hint of arrogance in me not wanting to seek help. I wanted to do it by myself. Um, so if you can try and go over that, uh, I think I should have done that earlier on. But now I'm really open. I, I, I try to get to lots of people in lots of specialities and it helps a lot. You know, we're, we're, we're kind of growing again. And despite what's happening here, we are finding new and better ways to do things. We have a new sort of sales approach and that, that, that actually does work. Yes, yeah, so does that answer your question? I think yeah, I it does. It does, and I, I think you know the great thing about advice is that you don't have to take it. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> yeah. you can yeah. you can listen, and you know it's one of the things that that I advocate in, in Project Future is is to get that steering board, that steering committee in in place early, and and if you've got those range of, of voices, range of opinions, you know you you will yeah. get to the right answer, and whether that's what your initial view was or a combination or or something that's come externally. You'll yep. find the right solution, and yeah, being willing to ask for help and so then act upon it, I, I think, is is a great thing. And as you say, you know, experts uh, outsourcing some of those things that also helps to to free up your time, you know, to to yep. be creative and for you to focus on the things that you're best at. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Lots of good things there. So, is there one resource? So, be it a website, a podcast, a book, something like that that you'd recommend, either in in your space or or more generally. I have every business book under the sun. I get given them, <laughs> I buy them. Um, they're obvious presents to a business owner, I suppose. Uh, I haven't read any of them, and that's really embarrassing. I, I'm currently moving house, and um, I just keep seeing them thinking this is ridiculous. <laughs> uh, it's something I'd love to do to find more time to read more. Um, so I can't recommend a book, sorry. I can recommend this podcast. Uh, <laughs> and I, So there's, there actually is much more than I realized, perhaps more now than when I started. But there are lots of companies there's one called Entrepreneur Circle who offer toolkits and training and they offer sort of, I think you can generally join them for a month or so for free and you can have access to what they call their vault. And that's filled with thought through, experienced people talking on special subjects from as minute as setting up a Google My Business page to as complex as a sales funnel. And I, it's really interesting. I just, I keep saying this, but like I, I've looked back so much in the last few years at how I started. I had nothing. I mean, I think Google, Google is your friend. I think it's better now than it was ten years ago. Um, I mean, everything you can find now in an article. You know how to do a tax thing, how to how to add VAT or you know whatever it is. So Google possibly find somewhere like Entrepreneur Circle or something similar for your industry. I know Entrepreneur Circle. I'm, I'm oh, familiar cool. with them. It's Nigel Bottrell, isn't it? And, yeah, uh, it is, yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very familiar with them. And, who, I ha- and... who I have to say, I recently, their, their team asked me to do a review recently, and I did write. I do really rate him. You know, I think a lot of these, if you're slightly careful, I think I've, I've seen lots of kind of um, business help coaches who um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think I can possibly rate, partly because they're not experienced and partly possibly because they talk the talk um, and have less actually done the walk. Nigel clearly has done that and actually he does do it very well. I'm, I'm quite impressed by that. So um, yeah, yeah he's, 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 worth, he's worth checking out. He's got a book called uh, "Build Your Business in Ninety Minutes a Day," uh, which I'm just glancing hmm. at on my on my bookshelf here, uh, hmm. which is a, which is a good one. It's quite a short book, but it's it's got a lot in there, and, and uh, yeah, very much focused as he does. Uh, you know, working first thing in the morning and having those ninety minutes uh, without yes. distractions, with email switched off, phone switched off, just to be strategic about your business. So I will add that to my dusty bookshelf to look at. <laughs> <laughs> very good. And and just finally, is there a guest that you'd recommend for a future episode of the show? I go through phases and my, my latest hero is James Pickles. And that's because he's a friend I've known for five or six years. Uh, he uh, was a very, he's head of sales at quite a big company in London, did great things for the company. Uh, has has an amazing you know, multi-million pound uh, sales figures that he was he and his team that he led were responsible for. And then, um, as is well documented now, uh, a couple of years ago, had a big kind of mental health crash and the kind of pressure and the anxiety and things he hadn't dealt with kind of got to him. Uh, and he's now a full-time business coach um, aiming to talk to people in business with perhaps similar issues or trying to get them before they have those issues. 
and uh, I think he's absolutely fascinating. And and something that I'm actually really keen to try and work with him on is getting him into uh, big corporations, small companies to talk about the reality of mental health in well, all parts of life, I suppose. But in this context, we're talking about you know people that run or work high in you know, businesses. It, business can so often be a pressure cooker um, waiting to go off. It's um, intense. It's terrifying. Or can be. And um, I guess I guess he's got a great message. And uh, I think he'd be great. He, he's um, he speaks brilliantly. Thank you. Uh, what a brilliant recommendation. And and yeah, I'd, I'd really like to speak with James and uh, I shall look him up uh, straight after we finish speaking today. Sure. And yeah, would, would, would certainly you know like to be able to share his story and indeed some of his knowledge uh, on the show. So thank you so much. And sure. and, and finally, finally then, um, mm. some links. Uh, so if people want to find out more about you, about Clownfish, uh, where should they go? Oh, sure. Uh, clownfishevents.com. Uh, it's the original business. Clownfishstudios.com is the new is the new studio business. I think I'm on Instagram. I am on Instagram, um, and it's Matt Insta Turner. You're welcome to say hello. Um, I'm very open. I'm very relaxed. Um, by all means, message me, and um, I'm happy to hear or chat about anything further. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, and for being so candid and for sharing so much uh, on the show today. And yeah, I've I've thoroughly enjoyed speaking with you, and uh, I wish you every success. Uh, as your business drives forward. So thank you. Thanks, Rob, so much. Great job. Speak to you soon. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. It was great to hear how Matt grew his business, giving his clients what they wanted, but always looking to innovate and grow. COVID-19 has been cruel in so many ways, but businesses like Matt's in events and hospitality have been hit more than most. As Matt said, who would have thought putting people in a room would literally be made illegal? Like Ash and Cat in episode 23, what he's done by creating Clownfish Studios diversified his business and has reduced risk, but equally it's provided more opportunities to delight his clients by offering additional complementary services that can be defined alongside or instead of the traditional business to the client's needs, I think is quite brilliant. If this episode has inspired you to pursue the idea of starting your own business, start today with my three-minute quiz at robcurr.co.uk forward slash quiz. On next week's episode, I speak with Janie Van Hall on Growing by Listening. It's another incredibly powerful conversation. So subscribe now to get notified of this on Tuesday morning and like and share to enable us to empower more people. Thank you for listening. Until next time, keep launching and building those amazing businesses that give you satisfaction and balance. <laughs>